This is Live Wired in Calgary. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Live Wired in Calgary. I'm your host, Darren Krause, editor at LiveWireCalgary.com. As always, this show is done in partnership with the folks at CJSW 90.9 FM, and we are producing this show on Treaty 7 lands of the Siksika, Kainai, Pikani, as well as the Stony Nakoda and Sutina Nations. We acknowledge that this territory is home to the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3 within the historical Northwest Métis homeland. We all honour this territory, Indigenous and non, where we live, work, and play. We're in the heart of summertime and we've got another heat wave going on in Calgary and recently we've had that frustrating smoke. July also saw the return of the Calgary Stampede. We'll talk about the Calgary Stampede attendance numbers, including what the COVID numbers look like and was there any correlation. The Green Line funding was reaffirmed by the province and the federal government, but questions are still being raised by at least one Calgary mayoral contender. There are 10 open seats on Calgary City Council with the recent withdrawal of both George Chahal and Ward Sutherland from their respective ward races. We'll talk about that and what it means, and we'll hear from two political scientists on it. The city could pave the way for more childcare spaces. How would they go about doing that? And we've got a little bit on third-party advertisers. Cue the dun-dun-dun. We've got some ground to cover this month, so we will get underway. Enjoy. Ward 5 Councillor George Chahal has jumped from municipal to federal. Ward 1's Ward Sutherland jumped to a mayoral campaign. With both withdrawing recently from their respective city council races, it leaves 10 open seats in this October 18th Calgary municipal election. Going back 40 years, it's the most Calgary's ever had. The most previously was six, and the last time that happened was in 2001. I talked with a couple of Calgary political scientists about what it means to have this many open seats for the upcoming municipal election. First up, I have Lori Williams from Mount Royal University. And it's, you know, a a pretty bad time for this to happen. Perhaps understandable that it's happening. Calgary's facing huge challenges right now, and you know, someone who wants to leave a positive political legacy doesn't see and there was much room for that in in the current political and economic climate as they might have once seen. They see the possibility of making a more positive difference in other in other ways, or uh, they're simply retiring, and and so now we're left with ten or possibly even eleven new faces on council, which is a huge problem. If we've only got four people continuing, then there are a whole lot of people coming in who really don't know the ropes that are going to be spending most of their time and attention just learning. Mm-hmm. And this isn't like being a backbencher in provincial or federal politics. Every councillor has to be learning and participation in decisions, and they have to be making informed decisions, and they have to be involved on committees, and they need to be making a contribution. And that's a much, much more difficult thing with uh, a large number, the majority of of councillors being inexperienced, needing to learn the ropes on the job. So 
I mean, and Ward Sutherland alluded to that, mm-hmm. saying that we, we need an experienced hand in the mayor's chair and somebody who's got business experience. Right. But as he leaves the race to join the campaign, yeah. he's made that particular problem with inexperience work. We have a, a lot of councillors who are going to be getting up to speed there are a lot of big files right now, and that's not to say that there aren't typically big files that the city of Calgary is dealing with, but, but more, more so than at least any time that I can remember. We have the downtown strategy. We have the arena. We just got approval on the green line. There are, there are a lot of things that are going on. Well, we've got, we've got unprecedented uh, political and economic challenges facing city council. Right. So at this stage of the game, we've got an economy that is uh, doing quite poorly, and that has a huge impact on the tax base for for Calgary, both in terms of property taxes and business taxes. And we've got a provincial government that is up to the provincial portion of the property tax, so and and is insisting on uh, on municipalities balancing their budgets. I mean, they are being squeezed from every direction. It's mm-hmm. just enormously challenging. Again, you know, when I heard that Nancy was leaving, I thought, you know, we might have a hard time attracting really strong candidates because somebody who wants to go into politics wants to make a positive difference. And this is going to be a very challenging environment in which to try to do that. I also talked with Jack Lucas from the University of Calgary. I have been thinking about this What is it being questioned from Two vantage points. The first is the election itself, and then, of course, there's the council that gets elected. And so we can talk about each of those if you're interested. Um, Sure. But but what you were referring to just now was more about the council that gets elected, and I think that's absolutely right, that this is – it's totally obvious that this has the potential to transform the complexion of city council, the policy agenda, the policy priorities of council, the literal complexion of city council and its um, racial or, or gender diversity or lack thereof. All of those things um, could change dramatically because we see so many open races. And so we're, we're certainly going to see so many new faces on council. And it's just a question of who gets elected. Now, it's important to be, I've been reminding myself not to overstate this because it's, I've recently done work um, in Canadian municipal uh, elections more generally, which shows that Canadian municipal voters, even in the absence of political parties, tend to elect councillors who resemble themselves ideologically, which is to say that City councillors in Canadian municipalities tend to resemble the ideological complexion, the kind of average ideological complexion of their wards. And so in some of the wards where we have open races, you know, characteristically elect councillors who are more progressive or or more conservative, and it's pretty likely that 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 trend will continue. So it would be surprising, not impossible, but surprising to see a really conservative council councillor elected in Ward 8, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be surprising to see, uh, you know, an extremely left-leaning councillor elected in Ward 12. That's just the, the character of, the, of those wards, such that they're likely to elect someone who resembles, at least vaguely, the people who have tended to uh, represent those wards in the past. But... There's a lot of 
trend, right? And so, like, uh, th- that's that's speaking in such broad strokes that it really leaves all the interesting questions unanswered. Which is that, like, you know, someone could be broadly reflective of the ideological character of their work, but a very different set of policy priorities. And you know, it's as much about what are the two or three things you most want to get done as it is about like what are your attitudes on the following 15 issues and Mm -hmm. and you know what I mean so like there's so many ways that the council can be transformative even if it sort of resembles the overall distribution of policy views or ideological perspectives as the current council because of because we see counselors arrive you know Jeff Davison arrived on city council with a determination to get back into the mix of the NHL arena and that had an effect on the council's policy agenda. You know, that, that that's just one example. So we're going to see lots of that. And so that's the kind of the policy piece. Uh, that was one part of the policy piece, although there's certainly other stuff to think about in terms of like post-election, there's going to be a learning curve for an, the overwhelming majority of city councilors. Although, it's possible that some of the people who get elected are going to be familiar faces. They're just not familiar from this most immediate term, right? We could see Andre Chabot and Richard Poopins on council, and suddenly it's like, well, they have a little bit of uh, experience. It's not going to be completely new to them. And of course, our mayor is likely to have some experience on city council as well. So it won't be entirely um, new blood, so to speak, but it's going to be nevertheless a lot of new faces and so there's going to be some learning getting to know the ropes the procedures the policy making processes in those early months of the next council one thing's for certain come october 19th calgary city council will have a very different look and maybe a very different direction some faces may be the same around the horseshoe but most will be new it's going to make for a very interesting campaign in the fall Child care has been an ongoing topic of conversation in Calgary and across the country. The federal government, as a part of a $30 billion plan, have outlined a potential $10 a day subsidized child care. So far, BC and Nova Scotia are bellying up to sign on, and Alberta is eyeing up something that will work for them. But Alberta Premier Jason Kenney has said that it's a cookie-cutter solution, and it didn't address rural child care nor did it work for thousands of shift workers and their families in Alberta. Councillor Joe T. Gondek, along with Councillors Drew Farrell and Giancarlo Carra, brought forward a plan to aid the process of creating affordable childcare spaces. The idea would provide developers density bonuses if they subsidized or included a subsidized childcare location in their development. Density bonusing, for those outside of the planning world, allows a developer to add more than the typical density to an area being developed. I talked with Councillor Gondek about her plan, and I asked her about this being a provincial and federal matter, not necessarily a municipal one. Firstly, it can be a city solution if we look at this the way we do affordable housing. So when it comes to affordable housing, we provide density bonusing provisions for people that will give affordable housing as part of their development. And so it is possible for us to do that with child care, affordable child care as well. So it's something we need to look at. That's 100% within our purview. And I think it would be an interesting model 
to have applicants looking not only at tenancies, but can the tenants also encourage childcare solutions? So that's one angle. And then, you know how we created the Center City Enterprise District to fast track land use change? You know, it's possible that we could do the same thing for affordable childcare if we thought it was appropriate in some areas. So good idea to look at that. And then the second component of it is we saw with affordable housing a break from tradition with the federal government coming to us directly with Rapid Housing Initiative money and asking us how we would use it. I'm just curious if there's an opportunity to do the same with affordable child care as well. So to cut out the middleman, so to speak, and see if there is a municipal solution that could be funded. So really exploring both of those things. Calgary Stampede 2021 is in the books and it appears to have gone off without a major hitch. Stampede officials said that roughly 529,000 people went through the turnstiles at this year's greatest outdoor show on earth. The attendance in 2019, the last year the Stampede went ahead in a non-pandemic year, was nearly 1.3 million. So it was down by quite a bit, more than half actually. One of the high-profile areas, Nashville North, performed 60,000 rapid tests with 18 positive cases coming back. 73% of attendees at Nashville North showed proof of vaccination. I think a lot of people assumed that we'd see a massive spike in COVID-19 cases from the Calgary Stampede. And yes, there has been an increase in cases, but certainly not into the hundreds of cases. And one can't necessarily attribute the increase in cases to the stampede. Restaurants and retail have opened up. There is no mask mandate. For the most part, there are no public health restrictions in Alberta. Vaccination rates have also increased. The province boasted a 75% vaccination rate. It's natural that the number of cases, even in riskier settings, is down. I do think having the Calgary Stampede was a good release for a lot of Calgarians from the COVID shackles that we've faced for the past 18 months. It is a pity that there was a lot of fear, even perhaps among some media, about what could happen with that many people grouped together. If you saw the Calgary Stampede's layout, you would quickly see that there was ample room for people to participate in this year's 10-day festival. Earlier this month, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was in Calgary to help re-announce federal support for Calgary's Green Line. Literally minutes before that scheduled press conference, the province said they'd approved the City of Calgary's business case for the Green Line and that things could move ahead. Just a side note before we get to some audio. I've made several requests for the business case that the city apparently sent to the province in late May. Those requests have gone unanswered. So we're not exactly sure what was included in that business case or why the province may have waited more than a month to approve it. Here's a bit of audio from Prime Minister Trudeau on the Green Line announcement. Bonjour à tous. Merci d'être It's great to be back in Calgary, especially alongside Mayor Nenshi. My friend, it's always so good to see you. Congratulations on everything you've accomplished over the past decade. The past years have been good to work with you, and it's always a pleasure to continue uh, to do good things for the people of Calgary and Alberta by your side. 
Big shout out to you as well, Shane. Thank you for all your leadership on this. I, I, we avoided it very carefully, but I almost wore the same outfit as you today. So uh, uh, we're, uh, we're glad we, we didn't get that. But you have worked for years uh, to make the Calgary LRT Green Line a reality. Uh, thank you for being such a leader every step of the way alongside uh, many others. If you live in the south of the city, you know all too well that getting downtown can be a real problem. So today, I've got some good news to share. This fall, construction on Phase 1 of the LRT Green Line will begin in Calgary's Beltline and downtown. We're also looking forward to working with the province and the city on Phase 2, which would see the line extended to the north to reach people in this part of Calgary as well. So what does that mean for you? To begin, it means a faster, cheaper commute. No one wants to waste time and money idling in traffic. This will help you get you home to the kids sooner instead of stuck in traffic. Of course, investing in a major project like this also means investing in workers to plan, build, and then operate the line. During construction and design, we're creating 20,000 well-paying middle-class jobs. And once it's done, the Green Line will mean another 400 long-term positions for people in operations and maintenance. Stage one of the Green Line will cut pollution by tens of thousands of tons each year. That translates into cleaner air for the city. Some politicians continue to say that we have to choose between jobs and the environment. But environment and a strong economy really do go hand in hand. Of course, the over one and a half billion dollars we've invested in the Green Line is just one way we're fighting climate change, creating middle class jobs, and supporting families here in Alberta. Despite the prospect of the Green Line moving ahead, there's one mayoral candidate, Brad Field, who still has questions about the project. Field questioned whether the city could get to the north if it made the above-grade adjustment in the downtown instead of tunneling. You may recall that the most recent plan calls for the construction of the Green Line from Shepherd to Eau Claire in the first phase, and then only beyond to the north if there's money remaining. Right now, it doesn't sound like there is. He also asked about ridership projections and the estimated $40 million annual operating costs for the south portion, and what the city was doing to ensure exceptional ridership along the southeast leg to counterbalance that cost. He's hoping some of these questions and more will be answered by new Green Line CEO, Darshpreet Batty. The Prime Minister appeared certain, though, that ground would break this fall. And if so, it would mark the start of Calgary's biggest ever infrastructure project and a major transit improvement in Calgary's southeast. Before we go this month, I think we should catch you up on a recent story involving third-party advertisers. A third-party advertiser is a group that's allowed to raise money that can be used to help advertise in support of a municipal election candidate. They are required to register with a respective municipality. And last week, Livewire Calgary broke the story that a new third-party advertiser, Calgary Tomorrow, had registered with Elections Calgary but hadn't been publicly disclosed for six weeks. 
I do know that the non-disclosure is allowed under election laws if that third-party advertiser chooses to do so. The group was raising money to advertise support for mayoral candidate Jeff Davison. Since our story, both Global Calgary's Adam McVicker and the CBC's Scott Dipple have written stories about complaints being filed on this matter. What's important here is that Calgarians understand that third-party advertisers are going to play a large role in this election. It's going to take extra time and diligence to make sure you weed through the rhetoric and misinformation to choose your candidates this fall. One final comment from political scientist Jack Lucas on the influence of third-party advertisers this election, especially with 10 open seats on Calgary City Council. With so many open seats, and it's, it's kind of a confluence of events here, where we have the rise of the third-party advertisers with more open seats, does this exponentially increase the power of those third-party advertisers in influencing the kind of council that they want? I think it does dramatically increase the influence of anyone who's involved in the campaign providing information and signals and cues to voters about who they should support. Because in an open race, and we've seen this already in the races that we've known or we're going to be open for a long time, we tend to see a higher number of candidates. On average in Calgary, it's about eight candidates in open ward races and five candidates in incumbent races. And so you add more candidates, the information demands on voters go up in the absence of uh, partisanship it's difficult to initially figure out which candidate or candidates you're likely to consider voting for. And so if there are third-party advertisers or others out there who are saying to voters, here's here's who you should support and here's why, or they're directly supporting particular candidates um, as, as donors or what have you, that can really transform who emerges from the confusing mass of candidates in any particular ward race and becomes a really competitive front runner. And you can see history, you can see examples of this in Calgary's electoral history. Recently, I was reading about Joe Cece's first election um, as, as it's what was then called Alderman uh, for City Council in Ward 9. And, um, you know, it was a complicated race, uh, an open race, if I recall correctly. I'm almost certain it was an open race. And Joe Cece got an endorsement, fairly late in the game, got an endorsement from a pretty high-profile group of uh, organizations in Ward 9. And it seems like, nobody will ever know for sure, but it seems like that really helped push him over the top. And he won the race narrowly and became the incumbent and then subsequently won the the, the races after that. Um uh, much more easily. And so it just goes to show that any of these races, you know, was it Ward Sutherland who won um, by 87 votes or something? Yeah, and over Chris Harper. Time, that's right. So people get elected in open races, often by very narrow margins. And, um, and so any bit of information that they have, that they can provide to voters, whether it's endorsement or support by third-party advertisers, whatever, it's going to be, I think it's likely to be very important. And I just think about it like 
step aside from the kind of academic research side of things and think about it as resident of the city. I'm in Ward 7, complicated ward race, lots of candidates. It's like, how do you figure out which one you're going to vote for? Now I'm lucky because I'm going to end up interviewing hopefully most of them. So I'll kind of have a, you know, an advantage there. But um, not many people have the opportunity to speak directly to all of the candidates or the inclination for that matter. Right. You get a cue from someone you really respect, that can go a long way. In our final segment, we just want to give you an update on the city's Alcohol in Parks pilot project. If you recall, the city launched the pilot project back in June to allow Calgarians the opportunity to partake in a beverage or two in 30 select park locations across the city. There were hours that were set aside for reservations, but also times for those operating on a first-come, first-served basis. We followed up this week in a story by Ethan Ward. In that story, we learned that the city actually had added 20 more sites in the second phase of the project. Laura Smith with the City of Calgary said that initially there was a surge in interest with the reservations, but that it eventually died down. More than 1,300 online bookings were tallied between June and the end of July. Because of the random nature of first-come, first-served patrons, the city couldn't say how many people in total had used the parks and the benches or tables. But here's a good sign. During the first two months of the pilot project, the city only logged one complaint, and it wasn't even for intoxication. I know for many people, the idea of public intoxication was a real concern. Many communities expressed their concern with this very issue. But this one was actually for litter in the area. The city is going to look at some changes should the project continue. They hope to add more tables and benches in areas where the use was much higher, particularly in the Beltline and other inner-city areas. But the city said that they actually don't have any more tables that they can put in those areas. But communities like Sage Hill, Skyview Ranch, and even Country Hills saw much lower usage numbers, so the city may look at more even or, or more skewed distribution based on the usage. The city also hopes to revamp the online booking system to make it a much easier process. Many people had concerns with the online booking process, saying that it was cumbersome and actually dissuaded them from entering into the system and booking a table. Still, what's unclear is if the pilot will continue and whether these improvements can be made. That's yet to be decided by the city. If anything, it's shown that there is a thirst for this sort of relaxation in city parks for a people to enjoy a drink with friends. One interesting point on Twitter was that the city is treating this like it's a groundbreaking pilot project, when it's already been replicated hundreds of times around the world, including many places in Canada. Let's hope, after reviewing the information, the city can kick back, relax, 
and enjoy their own metaphorical beverage when it comes to allowing Calgarians the flexibility to enjoy a drink in more city parks. That's it for another show. Thanks so much for tuning in to the July edition of Live Wired in Calgary. We appreciate having you. I know that we talked a lot about the election in this episode, and I do want to direct you to the Calgary election tab on the Live Wire Calgary homepage. We have a running list of candidates plus profiles on many of them. I do stress doing your research, and I think that that is a great place to start. I'd like to thank Lori Williams and Jack Lucas for talking politics with me in this month's show, and to Jyoti Gondek for talking about an innovative, affordable childcare solution. I hope you enjoy your August and the last weeks of a particularly hot and smoky summer. When we talk next time, we'll be getting the kids ready for school. Where has summer gone, right? Time flies when you're having so much fun. Take care, everyone. So long.